Last week we were in uh, John 14, the first part of it, and we kind of had a spread through John 13 to 17, this retreat that Jesus has with the disciples before um, he's taken off, before the incarnation, and Jesus says goodbye, and he's suggesting to them that they're going to carry on what he's been doing, that this has been a discipleship college course, and that when he uh, dies, is raised to life, ascends on high, that they're they're going to carry on what he's been doing. They're going to do greater things than he was doing, he says to them. And you can tell that at that point, a little bit confused, he's just washed their feet. They've just been dunking their bread and the one who dunked the bread and Jesus, they're the one who's going to betray him. There's going to be betrayal. He's talking about doom and gloom. What's going to happen? They're confused. They're a little bit hurt. They're feeling a little bit isolated, a little bit lonely. And Jesus has given them these words of hopefulness, these words of preparation. And the words of preparation that he gives is that he will not be with them for much longer, but he will give them another advocate, the Holy Spirit. I was with Father Martin. We were at YouthLink this week, not doing Rory's great year, but doing uh, the second year class there. And they, they apparently they had a bit of a royal year. Well, most of the year they seemed to be rowing about Catholicism and Protestantism. So they brought Martin and I in. I'm not sure what, how helpful um, we were in some of the theological aspects of that. But one of the things that Martin talked about, Father Martin McGill, for those who are visitors, would be a um, good friend of mine. Um, he's now in a parish in Ballyclare. He was in Sacred Heart on the, in the north of the city for a period, Lenadun before that. And um, Martin does this thing where every Sunday night, he calls it his ecumenical tithing. Every Sunday night, he goes out to a Protestant church and worships with a Protestant church, and he's done the range He's gone into places I wouldn't even dare go into and enjoyed some of them as well. So um, bless him. Um, But he said to us at that event, which I thought was really interesting, that the first thing he noticed in going to all these Protestant services at night was our lack of the Trinity. How dare he? (laughs) And then he explained it. And I went, you're so right. Our prayers. Our prayers are all to the Father in the name of Jesus. And Martin says he's amazed at how little time the Holy Spirit gets in those prayers. Tell you what, when I was asked to finish in prayer, I made sure the Holy Spirit got into that particular one on Wednesday afternoon. But it's interesting, the Holy Spirit, we're not sure what to do with them in some of our Protestant churches, even in the services, even in our prayer life. So the Holy Spirit, for the disciples at this stage, Really, really important. Now, let me go back. Do you not like that title? That's the craziest title I've ever given. I just wanted to write it down. Uh, In some of my, you know, um, in in, in some of my reading this week, I found this word, this pneumatology word, and I might have heard it in college, can't remember. Um, But uh, pneumatology, it's the study of the Holy Spirit. So I thought we would look at the pneumatology of the Holy Spirit and what happened here last Sunday morning. If you weren't here, let me try and explain what happened to you. And even I'm not sure what exactly happened. But here's the gist of it. Last Sunday morning at 20 past nine, I was uh, in the months saying to Janice, I can't do this. And if Jonathan was our assistant still, I would have phoned Jonathan and said, Jonathan, you need to do this service because I'm in no place to do a church service today. I just, I'm not in it. I'm really not in it. But Jonathan wasn't there. And Paul has told you he hasn't been that well recently, so I wasn't going to ring him at 20 past nine on Sunday morning and say, fella, I'm not, uh, I'm not going down there. I just can't do that. And I came into the service 
And it didn't get much better, really, I don't think. The service started and nothing spectacular happened. And even getting into the sermon, I still felt that vocationally, I was just trudging. I was getting through this because I had to get through it to get back to the months and to get out of where I just wasn't wanting to be that morning. And then something happened. Something happened. Now, the thing I want to say about this is this happening wasn't because of some adrenaline rush that I got through the service. I didn't feel any particular spark between the opening welcome and the start of the sermon. So it wasn't hyped up. This literally, for me, came out of nowhere. Now, it didn't really just come out of nowhere because the day before when I was preparing the sermon, I really loved that Tales of the Unexpected line that I used. Um, I was telling them about, telling the congregation, some of you I'm telling you this too, because anyway, I'm really confused as to where you are, whether you were there, whether you weren't there, whatever. So Tales of the Unexpected, I don't watch it. I'd never seen it before in my life, but I picked up 10 minutes of it while I was vegging in front of the TV the week before. And this murderer, or so-called, he wasn't the murderer in the end because it was a tale of the unexpected, said those words, you know, you, you know who you are with a gun in your hand. You are a somebody. And I jotted that down. I'm the nerd. Everything that comes, everything we're watching, I'm jotting down quotes for sermons sometimes. Now I knew that when that quote was written down and then below it I typed you know you are, who you are with a piece of bread in your hand. You are a somebody. I knew that was, that's interesting. So the murderer knows he is somebody and he's got some sense of identity because he's got a gun in his hand. And we were coming to communion that Sunday and the table was behind me. And so when I changed the words in the preparation and wrote them down on the sheet, I knew at that point, that's a good line. You know who you are with a piece of bread in your hand. You are a somebody. That's a good line. But I still was trudging. But I can remember last Sunday morning, probably just around this time, looking down at those two quotes as I'm looking down at them now. And something happened. I'm trudging. I'm getting through it. I remember looking down. And then somehow there was this igniting of something deep inside me that took over. Literally, what's happened? I looked down here, I looked over there. I went across and I picked up a piece of bread and I held that piece of bread out and probably in the eight years I've been here from what the response has been to that piece of bread standing in front of you was maybe the most iconic moment of my entire ministry in Fitzroy. Where did it come from? I sat down to the communion after the end of that sermon and I just sat down and remember thinking, what just happened there? Because I felt this was going to be a trudge. And suddenly I knew, I knew that God had done something in my weakness. And after it, as people were saying how impactful the piece of bread thing was, I was going, yeah, and I felt so rubbish at the start of the service. Do you have to feel rubbish every week before something happens? Do I have to spend the week trying to make myself feel as bad as I possibly can? Before God's somehow going to work. I don't think that's it. But what I'm saying in that is that the verses we read today. And the verses of chapter 14 as a whole. And actually that whole 13 to 17. Are probably the explanation. 
of what happened last week. That whether I'm trudging or not, whether I feel like being here or not, the Holy Spirit is the advocate that Jesus gave his disciples that would work in spite sometimes of how we're feeling. And that happened last week because many of you told me what that moment felt like or was like as we went there. Completely non-concocted, non-contrived, non-hyped. If we'd done half an hour of worship music that had got me feeling hyped, then I could have explained it. But there was no adrenaline involved. It was all, I think, of this advocate. Now, an advocate, there's a few advocates here in the church that you could get to defend you in some place. If you need an advocate in court, I could, I'm looking at a few here and I'm saying, oh, we do all right. You know, when I came here, somebody, I said to the congregation before I came, I wanted to know who you were. So I said, what sort of congregation is it? And they said, well, oh, if you wanted to get your door handle changed, or let me put it appropriately, if you wanted to get a gate fixed, we're still struggling with that gate. Um, you're going to really struggle. But if you collapse, well, there'll be GPs and there'll be consultants and there'll, be, they'll do surgery on you on the table before you go home. And if you're ever in court, there's a range of you can help us out of that speeding ticket or other speeding ticket. If you need an advocate, this is the congregation to belong to. But this is not the kind of advocate that Jesus is meaning here. It's not the advocate that brings the case up before God in the hope that God will do something merciful for us. The direction is the opposite in this sense. God has already given the gift of love unstintingly through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And such love is that it creates a genuine life in the spirit. And the spirit is the advocate who brings the truth of that love and life to people in this post-Easter and soon-to-be-post-Pentecost time. The advocate doesn't get us in there. We're in there by what's happened to us by the gift of God's mercy and love. And the advocate comes to lead us into this. But what does the advocate lead us into? If you love me, you will obey my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Now, for me, in my spiritual journey, though that idea has grown up, it's matured. When I was in my early 20s and even later than that but was in my early 20s and I was speaking mainly to youth groups I would use this and I would say if you love me you will obey my commands the girl you're going out with do you need to say to yourself oh I'm going out with her so therefore I should ring her up and see if she wants to go to the cinema because that's what you do if you're going out with somebody or if you're with her at the cinema and you're taking her home do you say at the end of it oh I better kiss her goodnight because that's what you do when you're going out with somebody to kiss her goodnight no, you don't. If you love someone, if you're even infatuated with someone, as might have been the story that I was talking about, you do things not because you have to do them, but because there's another drive within you, another connection within you, another energy within you that's based on relationship and love. So that's what I would have done. I would have told all the youth groups, you want to read your Bible because you want to hear what, you're, uh, what God's saying to you because you love him. And if you want to talk... That was that. But as we grew up with this, as we grew up with this, I realized that these are crucial 
crucial ideas that Jesus is talking about for who we are as a church in the 21st century. Because sometimes I get a little bit frightened, particularly about our denomination, that we are all about the written down commands and the creeds and the doctrines. And Jesus doesn't say you're going to have a relationship with a religion. You're not going to have a relationship with a creed. You're not going to have a relationship with some doctrinal belief. He says you're going to have a relationship with God. It's a living relationship. Love is a verb. Love is a doing thing. Love is a relating thing. Love is a flesh and blood and heart and spirit thing. And Jesus at this point is probably saying, you know the way the Pharisees think they've got it right because they've got everything right and they tick all the things off that they're trying to do? That's not how it's going to work for you. You're going to be in this connection with God, the divine in yourself. And as a result of that relationship, then you're going to do the things that I would love you to do. So Whitney and Carlos, they could go out of their marriage yesterday and say, now what do I have to do to keep this marriage? But their marriage is, their relationship is not based on the vows that they took in a marriage. Their vows, their marriage is based, their vows came because of the relationship they had to want to take the vows. And thank you to Michael and the, the, the guys you sang uh, All for Jesus, which we sang 21 years ago this week at our wedding, which was our big song at our wedding. And you keep that marriage or you keep that relationship together, not because you have to and you've read a book of rules as to what relationships are like. Now, sometimes you get down to that, but rarely. The relationship will thrive when it's a relationship between, when there's a living relationship when the relationship is spirit to spirit and heart to heart and this is what God's talking about here but he says to the disciples you will obey my commands if you love me what are the commands now we can go into the whole of the scriptures and we could be here for days while I take you through we could go back into Exodus and Leviticus we could spend a lot of time in Leviticus we could spend a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount we could spend a lot of time in the commands of the scriptures but what about the readers of John you're in the early church, you're a first century believer, and John, the gospel according to John lands on your desk. Well, it probably didn't. It landed on somebody's desk, and they read it, and we read it, and we read it, until we learned it off, probably on some level. Now, if you've only read John's gospel, what are the commandments? It seems to me, if you look through John's gospel, there are really only two. And they're here, really. Before it and after it. They're all in this retreat phase that Jesus is having with his disciples. Chapter 13, I give you a new commandment. Yes, we've got a commandment in John. That you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you also should love one another. Be By this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. There's the command. Chapter 13, washing of feet, servanthood, all of that stuff. John has put down in his gospel the command that Jesus gives to his disciples. Are there any others? One more. Chapter 15, the one after what we're reading now. This is my command. Ah, we've got a command from John again. Or John has written down a command. What is it? That you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for one's friends. The sum of commands in the gospel according to John are that we love. As we love God, as God loves us so that we can love God, then our relationship. Our Christian living is not defending a creed. It's not keeping commands by root or duty or religion. The, commands, the command that is given is that we would love, love, 
love as Jesus loved us and laid down his life for us. If we fail in love, we fail in everything. And we need to be asking as we get back to the offering, as we pondered what it is we could offer to God this week, where are the acts of love that we will do in the week that is ahead, which will be us keeping our commands to God? Because if we love God, we will obey his commands, and we this week will love. And when it's hard to love, and when love seems to be a trudge, the Holy Spirit is our advocate, our companion, dwelling within us so that we would have the power of God in order to love, in order to love. And we're back to where it all began with the people of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we do that, when we have that kind of relationship with this God, then that will change how we live, not because it has to, but because it wants to. And Jesus said, as it also says in the Old Testament, where he brought them together, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the Holy Spirit is going to do in the disciples. And that's what the Holy Spirit is going to do within us. Even at moments of trudge, you may be amazed at how God will use you or me to love. Small act of kindness. Small, random act of kindness this week. Planned or unplanned. And the Spirit of God is helping us to obey the commands of God, which is to love. Let's pray together. Lord, the truth is, if we dare to take the vows that Owen and Holly took earlier on, or we dare to offer you anything within a church service, Or we dare to suggest that we would follow you, even stumble and tumble after you. That we need help. Because that's a big ask. And so we thank you for these chapters in John 13 to 17, where Jesus explains to the disciples and then to, to us that he prays for in chapter 17, those who will believe way down the line that your spirit comes to be our advocate, to be our companion, to be beside us and indeed within us, so that we would be, at times, out of the blue, fired by your spirit, to do even the smallest act of kindness that becomes a huge sign of the kingdom on earth. Lord, lead us out by your Holy Spirit, into the week that is ahead to do small indiscriminate acts of kindness that will be huge signs and symbols of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.